we've given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, I forgot to mention, uh, did you know that actually this last week marked the official beginning of summer? Uh, which in North Carolina means we'll have a snowstorm next week, which is just really funny. Um, but uh, it's really great to be back with you all. I, we, my family and I, we did our summer vacation, as we do every year, to the Outer Banks. Uh, this year we did a little bit earlier in June, and uh, it was just such a life-giving time for me. The Outer Banks is like my happy place on earth, so I just love being out there. And uh, I was actually talking on the phone with a fellow church planter. One of the things I get... I'm privileged to do is to coach other planters who are just getting started. Apparently, I guess if you get a plant up and running and it's still running four years later, you're an expert. So uh, I'm not an expert, but I get to encourage these guys. And one of the planters was saying, Aaron, I can't believe you actually get to take a vacation. As a church planter, how do you actually get to take a vacation? I said, well, you have no idea how awesome my church is. Uh, And so I just wanted to say thank you to you guys. Those of you who serve uh, with the Catropolis teams on our setup and pack up in our coffee, our greeters, our worship team, our tech team, uh, all of you who make this church what it is, we could not do that without you. And, and I, honestly, I couldn't take, take vacation with my family without you. So I just wanted to say thank you to you all. Uh, thank you to the staff. Uh, we have such an amazing team of preachers. It's great to have Dean and, and Holly preaching. Uh, just so awesome. Uh, and I just wanted to say thank you to you all. You, you guys are the best. So um, here, pat, pat yourself on the back for that one. You guys are awesome. Well, um, I want to start today by asking you to think about the history, your history as a talker, your history as a talk, your history with words from the age of one or so when you uttered your first word all the way to this very moment, the very last word you spoke. So think about your history word from the very, do you remember your first word? My first word was Coke. Can you imagine that? It was just great. Coke, 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 Coke. Uh, anyway, you're from your very first word to, to the last word you just spoke. Think about your history with words. Uh, in addition to all the words of wisdom and encouragement and positivity and beauty that have flowed from your mouth, mass confession for just a moment, how many of you in your entire life have had at least one word, at least one thing come out of your mouth that you regret? Raise your hand. Just, just at least one thing. Okay. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now, for how many of you was it on your way to church this morning, right? Just uh, Let's just be honest, right? Yeah, right? You know, one of the most uh, embarrassing word blunders that ever happened to me, uh, happened a long time ago. I have many of them, but uh, this is one of the most embarrassing ones. A friend of mine who was actually... Uh, pregnant with his wife, had shared with me that they were expecting a uh, child. It was their first child, and I was so excited for them. It just, oh, it was just awesome. Now, he, he, he didn't tell me that nobody else knew, uh, so he just told me, you see where this is going. So then later that week, I ran into his parents at Starbucks. And, like, I couldn't even help it. Like, the words, like, formed somewhere down here, and they began to crawl up my esophagus, right out my mouth, and they're right on the tongue. And before I could stop them, they just jumped out, and I said, are you so excited about the grandbaby? And they went, what grandbaby? And in that moment, I realized the mistake that had happened, right? So so then I just, I'm quick on my feet, so I said, well, well, you know, just grandbabies in general. Aren't you excited about grandbabies? And I mean, grandbabies are awesome, right? You know, and backpedal and backpedal and oh. 
blown it. I had blown it so bad. Uh, but, you know, that's not the only time I've blown it with embarrassing words. We've all experienced that in one way or another, haven't we? We've all said things that just seem to escape our mouth before we could pull them back in. It's like we watch the very words slip off our tongue and it's too late to stop them. Well, words, this would not be so bad, uh, the, the reckless nature of our tongue, our big fat mouths would not be so bad if it weren't for the fact that words, your words, my words matter. Our words have a kind of power to them. Words, uh, words have a power to affect us, to affect our relationships. We've all seen marriages destroyed because of harsh words or, or friendships ruined because of gossip or words that were not held in confidence. We've seen relationships at work that went south because of a careless or a reckless word. And many of us still carry deep within our souls, deep in our hearts, a wounding word that someone spoke to us years, perhaps even decades ago. But the wound is still fresh. The words we speak really do matter because words have power. 3,000 years ago, a very wise person named King Solomon described words this way. He said, the power, the power of life and death is in the tongue. In other words, our mouth, your mouth, my mouth, our words have the power to create life or to create death. And the choice is ours. You see, our words, the words we choose to use, our words will determine the quality and the direction of our lives, won't they? Our words will. Our our words will determine the quality and direction not only of our lives, but they will determine the quality and direction of our marriages, of our relationships with our children. Our, Our words will determine the quality and direction of the lives of those around us that we love most. Why? Because our words have the power of life and death in them. Now, if you are not a Christian and you're here today, you picked a great day to come to church because here's why, because what we're going to talk about today about the power of words is actually something you can apply to your life. Even if you don't believe the whole Jesus thing, this is just practical wisdom that anyone can use. But if you are not a Christian, I want you to know something about what Christians believe, because if you ever decide to become one, this will be important for you. What Christians believe is that words, perhaps words alone, might just be the most powerful thing in the entire cosmos. You see, the first book of the Bible tells us that when God created the universe, when he created everything that is, he did it not by snapping his fingers, not by a Jedi mind trick. He did it by speaking words. God spoke the world into existence. Psalm 33 describes it this way. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Now, God didn't stop there. This power of words can be traced through all the scriptures. In fact, one of the prophets, a prophet was kind of a spokesperson for God. One of God's spokespersons uh, tells a story about a vision that God gave him. It's the prophet Ezekiel, and the vision was a a valley of all these dry bones that were dead and lifeless. And God comes to him and says, Ezekiel, I want you to speak to these bones, and they will live. And so Ezekiel speaks to these bones, and suddenly they become alive. The 
power of words, life and death. And perhaps most of all, what Christians believe is that when God entered into this world to repair it, to love it, to redeem it, to heal it, he did so by sending Jesus, the word made flesh. Words are significant theologically. They're significant spiritually. But today, today I want to zero in on the power of words practically. The power of words in our relationships and in our lives. This same power that we see in God is gifted to us in a smaller way. Our words have the power to bless or to curse, to hurt or to heal, to bust up or to build up, to ridicule or to redeem. The choice is ours. For as Solomon says, the power of life and death is in the tongue. All right, so that's kind of our intro. Let me tell you where we're going today. Today, I want to talk about this power of words. We're in a series on the Proverbs. Now, what are the Proverbs? Well, the book of Proverbs in the Bible is not so much a set of rules or laws as much as it is just guidelines for how we can live practically. And Proverbs has a ton to say about words. So today, we're going to look specifically at four different Proverbs that each have something to teach us about the power of our words. Four Proverbs, four lessons. How many lessons? How many Proverbs? All right, so you guys are taking notes. Some of you are note takers. I want you to use your card, your pen. Uh, Here's the thing. After each one of these lessons, I'm going to pause, and I'm going to invite you to evaluate yourself. Now, notice who I asked you to evaluate yourself, right? This is not how is my spouse doing on this uh, or how do my kids do with this or, or how badly does my boss fail at this? That's not what we're talking about today. So if you're going to do the elbow, put the elbow in your own gut and do this. Okay. No elbowing sideways today. After each lesson, I want you to evaluate. Maybe give yourself a little grade, A, B, C, D, Q. I don't know. However you're doing on your grade scale today. And it's a chance for you to do a little self self reflection. All right. So lesson number one, problem, proverb number one, let's jump right in. Lesson number one from Proverbs is this. Our words will produce life if we speak fewer words. Listen to how Proverbs 10, 19 describes it. The author writes this. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. Isn't that great? When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Introverts. Can I get an amen? Right? Can I get an amen on this one? I love the sense of the original language here. It has the picture of words, not just, uh, or excuse me, words that just keep multiplying like rabbits. When words continue to multiply, transgression, infraction, wrongdoing is unavoidable. My family and I saw The Incredible Two, uh, The Incredibles Two this week. Anybody seen Incredibles Two yet? It was an incredible movie. Was, um, oh come on, that was good, wasn't that? that was, yeah, it was great. I highly recommend it. The most adorable character in Incredibles Two is the little baby superhero. His name is Jack Jack, right? Now Jack Jack is just discovering his superpowers, but one of the superpowers that Jack Jack has is the ability to multiply. So if you can imagine a baby, like you're holding your little baby, you know, just going crazy, and then suddenly your baby gets so worked up that your baby, he just becomes 20 babies, right? That's, that's actually what happens to Jack-Jack. And they struggle to contain him, and, and uh, hilarity ensues from there. Uh, but, but the picture of Jack-Jack multiplying is kind of what the proverb writer is talking about here. 
When words just begin to multiply like rabbits, somebody's going to get hurt. We get a feel for that? See, the problem is, this is exactly what happens to us in times of conflict, isn't it? When we don't feel like we're being heard, when we feel frustrated or angry, we just keep piling on more and more words, thinking that somehow maybe just in the sheer volume and quantity of my words, I might win the argument or I might finally get hurt. Maybe if I say it to him for the 82nd time, he will finally listen, right? We hope the sheer volume will win the day. One example of this is what counselors call uh, politely kitchen sinking. If you've ever been in counseling, you may have heard this phrase. Kitchen sinking looks like this. You have a conflict, and so you start dragging in all kinds of things that have nothing to do with what you're actually arguing over, right? So you're arguing over whose turn it is to do the dishes, and suddenly you decide to say to your spouse, well, 15 years ago when we were at your mom's house for Christmas... Okay, that's kitchen sinking. You get a feel for that? Just the sheer volumes of words, right? And somebody's going to get hurt when this happens. It's like we're lobbing verbal hand grenades that have nothing to do with what we're actually talking about. So what's the remedy to this multiplication of words? Well, the, uh, the proverb author tells us. It's in the second half of the sentence. It says, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The solution the proverb writer says, is restraint. This is what the great theologian Dr. Evil calls the zip-it principle. (laughs) Sometimes the best thing we can do, especially in conflict, is follow exactly what Dr. Evil says, is we can just stop speaking words, right? It's not the end all. It doesn't resolve everything, but it's often the first step. You just stop Speaking, you just zip it, zip, zip, zip it. Just stop, right? And a whole world of hurt can be avoided. Now, there's a quick side note that I need to mention here because I tease the introverts, but I don't mean to tease the introverts. I also need to tease those of us like myself who, when we get angry, we tend to go inward because this is not what the proverb is talking about. You see, we all express anger differently, don't we? Some of us, we turn up our volume. We get bigger. We get larger. Our words become more voluminous. Others of us, we take that anger and we go inward. And we sulk. And we mope. And we kind of punish you by our silence, don't we? Right? Any other of the sulkers in the room you know what I'm talking about? Yes, let's just own it, right? I'm going to go inward and I'm going to make you ask me, Oh, Aaron, is something wrong? No. No, nothing's wrong, right? Because you see, what we're both after, whether we're getting louder or we're going inward, is we're both after control, aren't we? We're both trying to get control because we're both scared that what we most need is not going to be met. The proverb is not saying that you should go inward with your anger. The proverb is saying the first step in containing the evil that our words can do is to learn to restrain them, to stop to pause. So here's your first reflection moment. How are you doing on this one? You don't have to tell anybody else, but if you were to give yourself a grade on your ability to speak fewer words in conflict, what grade would you give yourself? Lesson number one, speak fewer words. Lesson number two builds on this. Lesson number two is seek 
to understand. Proverbs 18.2 gives this, uh, boy, this sharp indictment. A fool, a fool, that's a person who's the opposite of a wise person. A fool takes no pleasure, literally a fool does not desire understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Let's pray and go home. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Can you, I mean, I shouldn't say it, but can you just imagine how different social media would be if we just applied this one idea? Just, just, just consider that for a moment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Now, this proverb is stated in the negative, and it's stated in the negative for a reason, because we need the sharp critique before we can answer what the positive is. The proverb invites us to reflect on what the positive counterpart might be. Be. And the positive counterpart would be if a fool does not desire understanding, then what does a wise person desire? Oh, come on. If a fool does not desire understanding, then what does a wise person desire? Okay, okay, you guys are smart, right? That's right. A wise person desires, that is, they seek to understand. Now, this is so huge for us, especially in relationships. Because isn't this what we all want from those around us? I mean, don't we all at our very core simply want to be heard? Simply want to be understood? Whether it's with a boss or or a friend or a parent or a spouse, we all actually want the same thing. We all want to be heard. We all want to be understood. And at the end of the day, we might not agree on everything, But if I at least know that you have heard me, that you understand me, we can at least be okay together, right? I can at least know that you have understood me. So how do we get at that understanding? Well, I need to jump to a New Testament letter to apply this. Uh, How do we get understanding? Uh, There's an interesting little verse that scholars believe is actually connected to this very proverb. And it's found in the book of James. James was the brother of Jesus Pause for just a moment. What would it take for you to be convinced that your brother was the son of God? Right? Just think about that for a minute. Right? Every time I read James, I just think, oh my word, that's incredible. Okay, so James, he's, he's now a Christian, and he's writing to other Christians. And listen to what he says about this gaining understanding. He writes this. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Say that with me. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, what is James talking about here? What does it mean to be quick to listen or or slow to speak? Slow, by the way, the word that he uses here could also be translated late. Be, Be quick to listen, but be late to speak. That's kind of puzzling, isn't it? Well, I wanted to illustrate this with a little story from Marab and I when we lived in Los Angeles. One of the funny things about living in L.A. is going to weddings. We, totally different from here in North Carolina. Weddings in Los Angeles, well, actually, weddings in North Carolina. If you say the wedding starts at 4 o'clock, what time does the wedding start at? 4 o'clock, right? You show up and it's, it's on. When you go to L.A., if a wedding starts at 4, you know what time it starts at? 4.59. I don't get it. Maybe it's because of traffic or whatever, but, but they call it showing up 
fashionably late. Have you heard this phrase before? Fashionably late. It's, it's like part of your, fa- I guess you get to stroll in like a runway or something like that when you show up to the wedding. But it was so weird. You'd go to a wedding, you'd sit there, and I officiated a lot of weddings in LA, and so I'd be standing there just waiting until the wedding coordinator told me it was okay to go. You know? So I come out here to North Carolina. And I'm officiating my first wedding here. And I'm operating under the same principle. You know, it's like 4, four o'clock. Oh, I'm there early, you know, sound check. I'm staying there. I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. And suddenly, like, the bride's looking at me and the bride's mother. Everybody's looking at me, and it's like 4.30. And they're all, like, starting to sweat and freak out. I thought, well, this is just how you do it. Because in L.A., you, you start weddings fashionably late, right? So watch this. Watch this. Here's what James is saying. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. In other words, he's talking about the order of things. Make sure that your ears show up on time and your mouth shows up fashionably late. Do you see that? In other words, your ears, your ears need to be on North Carolina time. Your mouth needs to be on California time, right? We get this? Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Stephen Covey, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, articulated this principle so well in his habit number five. He writes this. He says, effective people seek first to understand, then to be understood. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And can you imagine, just for a moment, again, If we just took this one principle, this one idea into our workplaces, into our homes, into our friendships, can you imagine the power and the change that might come? Can you imagine the next time you're having a fight? What if you said this? What if you said this? Just imagine. I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but just imagine saying, honey, well, don't say that if it's your boss, but honey... I don't understand your point of view, but I would like to. Would you help me to understand? Can you even imagine saying that, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak. See, if I'm really honest in my own life as a father, uh, as a husband, my worst moments, my worst moments as a husband, my worst moments as a father always come from when I'm quick to speak and slow to listen, isn't it? Isn't that just true? My worst moments. What if we could be quick to listen, slow, late to speak? Reflection opportunity number two. How are you doing on this one? What kind of grade would you give yourself on your seeking to understand first and to be understood second? Lesson number three, lesson number three, here we go. Lesson number three from the Proverbs is that we need to weigh every word. Weigh every word. Proverbs 12, 18 says this. The words of the reckless, or the words of the careless, some of your translations might say, pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless pierce like a reckless word pierces like a sword. We all grew up with the expression on the elementary school playground, sticks and stones may break my bones, but 
words can never hurt me. Never was there a lie more central from the pit of H-E double hockey sticks, right? Do you remember the comeback from that? Do you remember the comeback, my comeback, the only comeback I learned? I'm rubber, you're glue, what bounces off me sticks on you. Like, does that, that didn't even work, right? The word still stuck to me. It's just, the truth is, if we were really to say this in reality, we'd say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can scar me for life. Isn't that the truth? We've all been pierced. We've all been cut. We've all been wounded by a careless word spoken in haste or by a hurtful word spoken in anger. In fact, we all know that words have power primarily because of those hurtful words, don't we? Positive and negative words both have power. But did you know that negative words have as much as five times the power of a a positive word? In fact, uh, social psychologists have documented this well, that it takes five positive words to counteract one negative word. Did you know that? In fact, if you drop too far below that in a relationship, chances are that relationship is not going to go the distance. Whether it's a work relationship, a marriage, a friendship, it's just not going to make it because words have power. In fact, there are some negative words, some negative phrases that psychologists have identified that have as much as 13, 14, 15 times the power of a single positive word. Some that no amount of positive words can ever seem to undo. Consider the piercing power of some of these things. You will never amount to anything. You're such a loser. I wish I'd never had you. You're nothing like your brother. Why can't you ever do anything right? I wish we'd never gotten married. You know, I never really loved you anyway. Oh, you know what? You're never going to change. Do you feel the piercing power of those words? Like a sword that cuts to the core. Because words have the power to bring life or death, you and I, my friends, must be careful. We must not be careless about what we say because our words have weight. We must weigh every word. I've learned something again about the weight of words this year from a little experience I've had coaching flag football at Sally's Y. I love coaching flag football. It's U12. That means under 12. So my two youngest boys are on my team. Some of y'all's kids are on my team. And we have a blast out there. I have two rules out on the football field. Two rules. First rule is this. No trash talking. Okay? We say the scoreboard does all the talking, to which the kids say, Coach, there is no scoreboard. I said, exactly. Okay? No trash talking. That's a, no trash talking. That's my number one rule. And the number two rule, and this is the really important one, is, is uh, no criticizing your teammates. In fact, what we do when someone makes a mistake, we have one phrase that we're allowed to say. The only phrase we're allowed to say is, we'll get them next time. Isn't that great? We'll get them next time. Because you know what that kid who just dropped the pass in the end zone on fourth down doesn't need to hear from you? He doesn't need to hear that he missed it. He already knows it, right? He already knows that he blew it. He's already got all kinds of hateful words directed at himself. He doesn't need your words piled on top of them. And yet, and yet, 
what I have heard as a coach, some of the things I've heard as a coach from the sidelines blows my mind, right? Now, it's easy for me to point the finger. Let me point the finger at myself for just a moment. We had a game last weekend, a week ago Saturday, and it was a nail-biter. We scored on our last drive. We were ahead. The other team got one final drive. We stopped them at the halfway point, their first fourth down. They converted, got a first down. We stopped them at the goal line. It was fourth down. Ball comes into the end zone. Their team pulls it down for a touchdown. And in that moment, I had a choice to make. Because there were all kinds of words in my belly that wanted to crawl up and jump off of my tongue, right? But I was preaching this sermon, and I said, I can't do this. <laughs> so I, I did everything I could just to stop. And I lived by my only rule that I knew how. Aaron, Aaron, don't say something you're going to regret. So I turned and I said, that's all right. We'll get them next time. You see, it's really hard for us in the heat of the moment in passion to stop and weigh our words. Moms, your words are particularly important. Moms, you need to know your words have incredible weight with your kids. Now, dads, here's the unfortunate news. However heavy mom's words are, let's say mom's words are 100 pounds, guess how much dad's words weigh? Like 300 pounds, right dads? I don't get it. I don't know why God created it that way. It doesn't seem fair. But dads, your words have more weight in your child's life than any other human being on this planet. And that means we have a responsibility, don't we? I was talking with a dad out on the football field, and he said that he likes to talk rough to his son because he's trying to tough his son up. He uses sarcasm. He says because he wants to toughen his son up. And I I didn't say anything at the time. I just listened. But I've been prayerful about that all week. And, you know, here's what I I thought about sarcasm. You know, sarcasm doesn't actually toughen our sons. It just makes it tougher for our sons to relate to us, doesn't it? Sarcasm doesn't actually toughen them up. It just makes it tougher for them to relate to us. Dads, our words have weight. Our words have power. We cannot be careless with them. Reflection moment number three, we're almost done. How are you doing on this one? How are you doing weighing your words? Fourth and final lesson is this. Fourth and final lesson is this. If you think it, and it's good, if you think it, say it. If you think it, oh wait, I messed you all up on that. I was tricky with it. If you think it, and it's good, Say it. Say it, right? If you think it, and it's good, say it. I was uh, talking to a friend recently, and he was bragging on his wife. And I just love this. He was, uh, he was just singing her praises. Oh, Aaron, my wife. I mean, she's just so amazing. And he was telling me all this stuff she's doing. He said, I'm just so fortunate to have her. And she's awesome. I said, I said wow, um, have you told her that? And he said, oh, no, she knows it. She knows, right? She knows. I said, oh, really? How does she know that? Well, I mean, she just, I said, if you haven't told her, how does she know that? So he went home that night and he told her. Awesome. If you think it and it's good, say it, right? My wife and I went on a a little date uh, last night and she came out to the car and she was looking really good, really good. And so she was looking and I had that moment and this just happens to me all the time. I look at her and I think, man, my wife is beautiful, right? But, but if I don't say it, it does no good to her, right? If I, if I think it and it's good, I need to 
say it. See, the funny thing about us is that we are so loose, we're so free with our negative words, but when it comes to positive words, we're like stingy. We hoard them, right? We don't share those words at all. Why? Why do we do this? Listen to what Proverbs 16:24 has to say about the power of positive words. The author writes this, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Isn't that great? I was trying to think about like what a modern North Carolinian version of this would be because we don't eat honeycomb. Honeycomb was like the, uh, the ancient equivalent of like the death by chocolate cake, you know, like the five layers with fudge and chocolate chip and extra icing. I mean, that's kind of, it's the sweetest thing they knew. So like, uh, you know, listen to this. Gracious words are like peach cobbler with bluebell vanilla ice cream piled on top. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Do you feel that? I gave you some negative words earlier, and I hope you felt the sting of those, but listen to the healing of these positive words. I just love you so much. I love you exactly as you are. Honey, I believe in you. I think you can do anything you set your mind to. Oh, son, I'm so proud of you. I sure appreciate how hard you work for our family. I couldn't have a better friend right now than you. I'm so thankful God gave me you as my mom or you as my dad. I thank God every day for you. You can do anything God calls you to do. I would marry you all over. Do you feel the soothing, healing power of those words? How would your life be different this week? How might your relationships be different this week? If when you thought it, and it was good, you said it. What kind of healing, what kind of life might God breathe? into your relationships through this one simple practice. I was thinking about the power of words a lot this week as I've been praying for you all for this message. I was reminded of one of the most powerful words that was ever given to me. It was given to me by my father. It was when I was 19 years old. My dad and I had a good relationship growing up and it was a, it's a little bit uh, you know, off and on, like any kind of father-son relationship through the teenage years. Uh, but my parents were getting ready to move away from California and to move to Texas. And I was staying behind in California. I was going to school. And uh, my dad sat me down just the night before they left. I still remember we were at Olive Garden. Any of y'all know Olive Garden? We were sitting in Olive Garden. The endless bread, bread. It was awesome. It's great for a 19-year-old boy. <laughs> I'm sitting there with my dad, and I'm not ready for this at all. I'm just thinking we're eating. They're getting ready to leave. At the end of the meal, my dad looks me in the eyes. He said, Aaron, I just, I want to tell you something before we move. I want to tell you just how proud I am of you. Oh, I'm proud of all the things you've done and accomplished, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm really proud of is I'm proud of who you have become. I'd, I'd waited my whole life for those words, Right? Those words are still producing life in me to this day. 
Why? Because our words have the power of life and death. Your words matter. My words matter. What will you do with the power that God has given you? Let's pray.